what a variety of things that we can serve the Lord. Do you realize we serve our creator? So think about that word creator. God is creative. There are a variety, unlimited ways in which we can serve in his kingdom. So we're going to look at that today. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. As you're turning there, I wanted to start out, though, with some things or some statements that are not found in the Bible. Did you know some things people talk about and they think it's in the Bible, but it's not? So let me start with the first one. Somebody's going to probably want to challenge me on that, but that's okay. Uh, we have a security team. They'll take care of me, okay? Here it is. It was an apple in the garden. The Bible just says fruit. You can break that down, but it doesn't specifically say apple. So what I would just tell you is don't let that red delicious apple in your fridge be, be the cause of the fall of humanity, okay? All right? I don't know. Maybe it was a lemon. You know, they always come out sour. I don't know, but fruit, okay? Not apple in the garden. Here's one that's real popular. You probably already think of that. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not there. It's not there. In fact, scientist Francis Bacon had a similar version, but this modern quote that we use, it originated in a John Wesley, remember him? A John Wesley sermon, okay? Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not there, but hey, if it helps get your kids to take a bath, go ahead and use it. Just don't say it's in the Bible, all right? Go ahead and use it if you want. Here's another one. Number three, God will not give you more than you can handle. Think about that for a minute. It's a well-meaning statement, isn't it? And you probably shared it with someone before. It's a well-meaning statement of comforting a person who's going through a trial. Yes, the Bible says God provides a way of escape when it comes to temptation. But think about this. If we could handle everything on our own, guess what? We could take care of our sin problem. We wouldn't need, have needed Jesus to come. Think about that for a minute. You see, it's God who provides. It's God who can handle it, not us. And here's the fourth one. This is the one I want to camp on this morning. Hopefully you'll see the transition that connected today. God helps those who help themselves. I think I've used that before. But can I share something with you? It is a blatant contradiction to Scripture. Think about it for a minute. Where does this come from? God helps those who help themselves. It comes from poor Richard's almanac. And previously to that, the kernel of this statement went all the way back to Aesop. You remember him? Aesop's fables? Some of y'all went to high school with him? No, not that far back. We're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, okay? Now, it, God helps those who help themselves. Not really. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still or yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. See, it's the opposite of that. Let me be candid today. We're talking about servanthood today and Servant Sunday. Being a servant does not come easily. Many um, are trained and called to lead, and therefore it's hard to be a servant. There's some who just want to be flat out served. I appreciate honesty of people when they just say, no, don't want to serve. I just want to be served. 
I don't think that's good, but I appreciate the honesty. You see, we are constantly battling our flesh, our sin nature, the little voice inside our head sometimes whispered, the Lord takes care of those who take care of themselves. Not so. It's just enough truth to be deceptive. It's just enough heresy to derail us. So we're going to set the context for this and, and think about servanthood. Think about serving others instead of just helping ourselves, okay? Can we do that this morning? So let's set it up. We're in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is on his way to his culminating visit to Jerusalem. Do you remember that visit? It would be the visit where his death and resurrection would take place. Getting close to the end there. We just celebrated that last Easter, this past Easter weekend. What's interesting is he just shared with the knucklehead, I mean the disciples, he just shared with them for the third time that he was going to die. Third time. Now, today we have it made. Think about it for a minute. We have the complete Bible. We have God's revelation to us while we're here on earth. It's all complete right here in the Bible. And we know today what Jesus meant by his death and resurrection. But the disciples, they didn't get it. They were looking for a kingdom, but they were looking for an earthly material kingdom. And so a great lesson in servanthood was about to take place. Let's take a look at it, starting in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink? Or, or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Look at verse, look at verse, whatever it is, 39. Look at it. We are able, they told him. Hmm. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those it has been prepared for. And then we see the rest of the story. Look at verse 41. Here comes the servanthood lesson or lessons. When the other ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and their men of high positions exercise power over them. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you, you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man, that's his favorite title, Jesus calling himself that, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Let me read that one more time for you. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. God, open our hearts this morning, our ears to listen. Remove presuppositions. Take the baggage out of our backpack, Lord, and let us see Lessons on servanthood. 
And God, I am so grateful for servants in your kingdom. And I am so grateful for the variety of ways of which we can serve. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's look at four lessons. The first one is found in verses 35 through 37, and it's simply this, serving God with wrong motives. Did you know that you can serve God with right motives or with wrong motives? It is true. It is true. You see, selfishness hounds every person, even believers, and so does that lust for greatness. It's in there. Now, maybe it's suppressed more in some of you than others, but it's there. It's just part of who we are. And pride is also an issue. So think about all those things. Selfishness. I want greatness. Pride. And it has been said that even the best of saints have trouble with these things, with pride. Enter James and John. Now, we know about James and John, don't we? The sons of Zebedee. In, in Mark's gospel, they had been mentioned previously a number of times and favorably a number of times. But here in this passage, they asked Jesus to do something that I believe reveals their wrong motives. If you want a lesson in wrong motives, just take a look at what they're doing here. In fact, you could read in Matthew's gospel and they get uh, mama, mamas involved And mama is asking. I mean, it's like a family affair, isn't it? But they're asking for something very specific. But what I want you to get, first of all, is that they're asking with the wrong motive. Remember the context? What Jesus just shared with them for the third time, he's getting ready to die. And they're concerned about authority, power, position, all these kind of things. So watch out because... Great, you're serving God, but don't serve him with wrong motives. You say, Pastor, how can that be? Listen, I've seen it over the decades, over and over and over. It's just like giving. We're told to do what? We're told to give with the right motives, right? Give cheerfully, not out of compulsion, those kind of things. It's the same with service. We're to serve with the correct motives. So that's the first lesson. It's simply this. We should not serve the Lord if our motives are wrong. Number two, we go to 38 through 40, and the second lesson is understand the sacrifice in serving God. So the sacrifice is the word there. Understand the sacrifice in serving God, and we see this in 38 through 40. Did you notice how Jesus responds to their brash request? He's not fired up. He's not rebuking them. He's not condemning them. He's not going off on them. Uh, He's not doing that directly. Instead, he's doing something else. He comes back and tells them, hey, you don't know what you are asking. You are ignorant of what you're asking. And then he he lists uh, metaphorically, if you will, some things here. He talks about a cup and he talks about a baptism. And he basically says, what does he he say there? He says, listen, you're uh, you're not going to be... Uh, able to do, to drink the cup, to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be with. Now, now, cup here is a symbol or a metaphor for the wrath of God. That's what that is. So they're not getting it, and he's saying, look, you're not going to be able to handle what's coming my way. The wrath of God. Do you remember the wrath of God? Do you remember what happened on the, cro- the cross on that Friday? When Jesus took, God placed the sins, his rescue plan, the sins of the entire world 
past, present, future, and he put those on Jesus. And God's wrath, he, God is holy, he can't have anything to do with it, and he had to turn away from his one and only son, one person of the Trinity, to the point where Jesus has to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's wrath. And that's what the cup symbolizes here. And then uh, Jesus goes on and says, hey, listen, I'm going to be baptized. You know, and I, if I was one of those guys, I'd be thinking, no, Jesus, you told us you were already baptized. That hairy guy, John the Baptist, <laughs> John the baptizer baptized you in the River Jordan. You know, you, you, you modeled that for us. We're supposed to be doing that. We're saying repent to people. Repent and what? And be baptized. We're doing that. But, but Jesus here is talking about something different. Metaphorically, he's not talking about a water baptism. He's talking about picture, picture baptism, right? Immersion. Come up. He, he's showing uh, someone to be immersed in calamity or engulfed by trouble. And it's coming to Jesus. When Jesus in the garden gets to the point where he says, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Calamity is coming. Trouble is coming. Almost immediately, right? Starts with the guards and what went on and the trials all that night, the beatings, everything that went on, you see. He, he, he was to be baptized in that calamity, in that trouble. See, both of these put together, these metaphors, these symbols, signify Jesus' coming death. Now, Jesus was to die as a ransom for our sin. We'll get to that in a minute, verse 45. But they did not understand this sacrifice. And I say to you again, we must understand the sacrifice that is required in servanthood. So, did you catch their response? Unhesitatingly, they said, yep, we're able they didn't know the future. Jesus did. And then he proceeded to tell them. Look at verse 40. Let me go back. 39. They said, we are able. And Jesus said to them, uh, you, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those that has been prepared for. They didn't understand. They answered, yes, we're able. They didn't know the future, but Jesus did. And he says, okay, guys, get ready. And if you, you know history, you know that James, okay, this first guy, James, brother of John, would die fairly soon, not, not too distant future, at the hands of Herod Agrippa I. And you say, well, what about John? Well, John would die later, the Apostle John, at an old age. You remember that? He wrote Revelation. But he would die after suffering exile. I don't think any of you are exiled right here. You're able to walk in the door today. And torture. People don't realize that. During the time of Domitian, these things would happen. So they are going to get this, but they have no idea. So Jesus also reminded him of some, them of something else, that it was God alone who could give places of honor he deemed would receive those. Okay? So it's something for you to really consider and, and think about here. 
So in this lesson, I am reminded of the sacrifice of servanthood, but I'm also reminded of something else. I'm reminded that a quest for position, a quest for position is not really servanthood. That kind of scares me, someone who campaigns for a position. Oh, it's a position of service, but they're campaigning for that. Does that make sense to you? And I think that's kind of what they're doing here today. So we wanted you to be able to, to see that. Let's move on to the third lesson. Serving God requires decisions, verses 41 through 44. Serving God requires decision. What I mean by that, serving God requires our yeses and our noes. I want to look at no first. I think this is in your sermon notes maybe. But we must be able to say no to the way of the world. That's the illustration we see in this passage. Are you able to? You must be able to say no to the ways of the world if you're going to be effective and be involved in servanthood. Notice that the scripture shares how the other disciples reacted with indignation. That's an interesting biblical word. It means they were sorely displeased. Have you ever been sorely displeased? They were greatly afflicted. This was a big deal to them. They were indignation. You know what I find ironic, though? Their response was worldly. Did you catch that? Th their response was worldly. They're all fired up. Perhaps, and what I would think was that uh, they're probably thinking, I should have asked before they did. Or I would like that position. I would like the right or the left. I mean, it's just our first example of that. You see, we are to reject the ways of the world. And notice how Jesus describes the world. He says, the world is driven by selfish ambition and a lust for raw power and position. And the words he used in verse 42, is, it talks about those in position. It says they dominate. Did you catch that? And they exercise power over people. Now, it says that, but I want to tell you something as you examine the text. It's not just exercising power over people, but really the term shows us power against people. Do you see that? This is not benevolent. This is power against people. And the term there even denotes hostility. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly what the rulers were doing. Hmm. The ways of the world. Greek scholar Kenneth West says it this way. It was pomp and circumstance, privilege and power, position and authority in the Gentile world, which was esteemed great. And the greatness of the individual, listen to this, came from his place in the system. That's the culture of that day. And as Jesus is inaugurating his spiritual kingdom, he's setting it up. He's headed for the last time. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to die in our place. He strongly states something. Look at verse 43. Don't miss the first part of 43. It is perhaps one of the most powerful sentences you can see. But it must not be like that among you. Hmm. Say no to the ways of the world. There's decisions that are required of God's servants in his kingdom. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, the more important you are, 
the more people you serve. Did you catch that? Did you hear that? The more important you are, the more people you serve. The guy that gets to stand up here on Sunday morning and blab, 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 blab is not the most important. He, being me, is most important when I am serving. And it's the same for you as well. This is different from the world. You'll remember Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's camp on verse 2 for a moment. Romans 12, 2. It starts out this way. Do not be conformed to what? This world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What does that mean? That which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're to not be conformed, but we're be, to be transformed in the renewal of our mind. Well, what does that mean? Well, part of the renewal of mind means this. We must say no, but we also must say yes. What must we say yes to? We must be able to say yes to the work of a slave. We must be able to say yes to the work of a slave. Second part of verse 43 and 44. It's a contrast, isn't it? It's, it's like saying, on the contrary, think about this. We're to become a servant. What does that mean? That word means we're to become like a table waiter. Or we're to become like a household servant. And Jesus even goes further to say, we're to become even like a slave to all. Now, I want us to go back to Mark 9 for a minute and see something. Jesus recently before this time had stated this truth right after his second prediction of his death. It's not like these guys had never heard any of this before. Look at uh, Mark 9, 35. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Paul stated it this way, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, for we are not proclaiming ourselves. We're not, Paul of all people. If anybody wanted to proclaim himself, it would have been Paul. Unbelievable. But he says, we are not proclaiming ourselves, but what? But Jesus Christ as Lord. But it gets better. And ourselves as your slaves. Because of Jesus, the greatest missionary in the world, the writer of all these biblical books said, no, because of Jesus, I am a slave to you guys. You see, let's get this. Jesus reverses all ideas of greatness. Jesus turns the world's philosophy on its head. And the lesson here is we should consider his call to servanthood and the decisions that are required, the decisions that must be made. See, I think this lesson, uh, a, a number of Christians have never gotten this one. Granted, these Christians may be doing well in saying no to the ways of the world, hmm. but they haven't understood they need to say yes to the work of a slave and be, and, and be part of serving in God's kingdom. So let's look at the fourth lesson, the most powerful of them all. Verse 45, it is amazing that Jesus doesn't just tell us 
what we need to do. He doesn't just tell a good story. He gives an example. Jesus is our example of servanthood. Look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man, Jesus' words, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, what do I mean by Jesus is, the, is our example of servanthood? What, what is example? What it means is that we're to look to Jesus, we're to listen, we're to do what Jesus says and does. All right? Our Savior is the Savior of action. Now, notice Jesus' mission. Did you catch it there? He came to do what? Two words. To serve. What's our mission? We come up with all these mission statements. Have you noticed churches are good at that too? What if the church's mission statement was to serve? Who? Anyone. Everyone. Any place. Any time. But Jesus says, I, I came to do this, to serve. Did he teach? Of course he did. We know it started, at least in the scripture, references to what? Age 12. We know he performed miracles. We know he taught, right, all over the place. He confronted. There's so many things that Jesus does. But when it's time for him to summarize it, and he's got these 12 guys right there, and some of them are indignant and fired up, and worldly, the other two are worldly because of what they've asked. They were campaigning for a position. Jesus just says, to serve. Hmm. Not to be served. That's what scripture says. And ultimately, here's why Jesus is an example. I could tell you, I'm here to serve, not be served. But I'm not a good example. Jesus is a good example. Why? Because in not too distant future here, Jesus provided the greatest act of servanthood when he died, and it says right here, he died as a ransom for us. Let's bring Peter into the picture. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Listen to this. You might want to underline a few words in your Bible here. Peter says this. He's getting older. He's wiser, right? He, he's uh, going through life, post-resurrection. Jesus has ascended. Holy Spirit has come. Have you read the book of Acts? There's some powerful sermons in there, right? Sharing of witness. And then here's what he said, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. Let me just stop there. Is that not the gospel? We had a, do you remember how empty your way of life was? Before you turned and repented and ran to the Lord and he gloriously saved you? We could say we're sin we were sinners, right? Empty, empty. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers. Don't blame it on your dad. But every generation has the same problem, okay? Not with perishable things like silver or gold. Here it is. But with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. That is the perfect example of servanthood. And he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life 
a ransom for many. Well, what does that word ransom mean? The word ransom means this. It, it gives us this picture. It's not like um, kidnapping is bad, okay? Can I just say that up front? <laughs> okay, don't go tell people, our, our pastor didn't think kidnapping is bad. It's, it's not really even be like being kidnapped and there's a ransom. It's much more stronger than that. This word, they knew exactly what he meant. It was the price paid for the redeeming of a slave. That's what it was. Not a hostage. Not someone in a bad family situation. Etc, etc, etc. When he said ransom, it's the price paid for the redeeming of slaves. And notice he says four. He starts it off with four. Now here the word four means more than four. If I can say it that way. The predominant meaning here is instead of. He gives the picture by using that word with, hey, there's an exchange. This ransom is exchanged. This price paid is an exchange. Think substitution, if you will. It's as if Jesus paid the ransom money, but it wasn't money according to Scripture. What was it? It was his precious blood, and that's what he did for us, who, by the way, were and are slaves of sin who could not pay it ourselves. I can't be more clear about this. This verse is so important as we think of our culture and the world in which we live. What does our world say today? It's my reality. It's my truth. I'm choosing to do this. Don't tell me. Don't give me standards. Be tolerant even though they're intolerant of me because I believe the Bible. You know, we could go on and on with these things, but I want you to think about our culture for a minute, okay? No. We are sinners. We are, in fact, enslaved in it. We could not pay for it ourselves. I don't care what your mantra is or, or how smart you, is, you are or how, I almost said you is, how rich you are. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Lord. Lord takes those serious moments and brings levity to them. Listen, we cannot pay the ransom. Jesus can. That's the gospel and the good news, right? And remember something here. He says, but, and to give his life. Listen, this is another thing that I see out there. Je Jesus gave it. No one took it. No one took it. Satan didn't take it. The religious leaders, they thought they did. They didn't take it. Jesus gave it. He gave it. And it's a ransom for us. And this perfect example of servanthood, it's, Scripture says, a ransom for many. Now, don't get hung up on that. Literally, what it says in the biblical language is, all who are many. Can you picture it that way? Many, all who are many, all, 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 all of us who are many. How could we say? He did this for all who will believe, and that can be you here. We're not quite done yet, but I just want to stop and say, do you know, we got new cameras, and I don't know which one to look at because my red light is gone. There it is. For, hi, guys, online. For, for you guys watching online, for you guys here, I want you to think about that for a minute. The good news starts out as bad news, right? We're slaves to sin. The Bible says all have sinned. We've, we've missed the mark. 
And yet God loved the world so much, he sent his rescue plan, Jesus. And he died, and on the third day he rose again. He conquered sin, death, grave, Satan, all that. He has the power to forgive. God demonstrated his love. We mentioned that verse earlier. And all who would believe through faith that God gives us, he gives us his grace, will be saved. Whoever, whosoever, Scripture says, shall call upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. It's not just saying, Lord, but it's understanding and believing these things and repenting in turn. That's the good news. Listen, that's the gospel. I hope that you will consider that because your servanthood isn't really servanthood if you're not part of the kingdom. Does that make sense? Good luck with that. Good luck having fun serving in the kingdom when you're not even part of the kingdom. Listen, today you can repent and say, God, I need your forgiveness. Come into my life. Redeem me. I acknowledge you paid the price. You can forgive me. Save me. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Take over my life. Be the boss, the controller of my life. Listen, that can be you today. All right? Let's close in this way. Philippians 2.3 gives us good advice. Philippians 2.3. Think about servanthood. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. That could be a nice, another definition for servanthood. Do you see that? You see, truth We cannot give our lives as a ransom for sin. You could try. We could cut a tree down, fix it all up, and all that would make you is dead. We cannot give our lives as a ransom for sin. However, we can do much in the area of servanthood. We can do much in serving in God's kingdom. And I'm going to give you a strong statement. You want a strong statement from your pastor? Here it is. Are you listening? I believe every adult Christian ought to be serving in God's kingdom through the local church. That's a minimum. I'm not even talking about the community or other things. Every adult Christian ought to be serving God, His kingdom, in the local church. Now, before excuses begin, there's a variety of ways serve. I've encountered so many people that say, well, Lamar, I'm just not really a teacher. Who said anything about teaching? That's a spiritual gift, isn't it? I realize that not everyone has that. That could be a burden for someone to try to do. But there's a variety of other things. Listen, if be like Dave, Dave Carmichael can do coffee for 22 years, you may say, "Eh, that doesn't sound like serving. No, he was serving. It's been said, one of the great teaching professors of old said that, that uh, food and drink unlock the jaw. Do you know what that means for discussion? It means it brings stuff. To, if you, you got a cup of coffee or the Baptist uh, staple, donuts, <laughs> if you have those, it's not just to see how much we can eat and drink, but it helps with the community and the fellowship, the discussion. Sometimes a cup in someone's hand brings down the barriers and they're able to do that. Have you noticed that in your classes? Yeah. So it's a variety of things. And my question is simply this. Are you serving?
My prayer is simply this, that you would consider the call to servanthood. And let me say one more thing about it. I had a great sermon illustration that I could not confirm about a honey-baked ham and the expiration date. So I will save that for another time because I don't want to lie. You know, this gets put on tape and it's there forever, right, the Internet. So I'll save that for another time. But here's the gist of what I wanted to say is um, a lot of people serve God reluctantly. Can I say this? A lot of people serve by giving God their leftovers. There, I said it. Just let that sink in for a minute. If, you, if you're convicted, that's God. If you're mad, that may be me. It's okay. But I want you to think about that. It is time, at least for Hoppentown Church, for us as adults who are more than capable, no strings attached, no laws being a minor, none of that stuff, that we serve the Lord. And we give him our best. Have you ever wondered why some churches are not growing? Have you ever wondered why revival is not coming? Have you ever wondered why, uh, look at all this, how are we going to make an impact? Part of it is because Christians give God their leftovers and not their best. That's, again, I use giving. We're commanded what? First fruits giving. We give off the top. Are you hearing me? We don't give what's left. Why do we do that with our serving? Why do we do that with serving? Just think about this morning. Think about this morning. Somebody had to unlock the doors. Amen? Oh, I never thought that was serving. Well, if they're not unlocked. Someone had to turn the lights on. You think, well, that's no big deal. Um, Have you seen the size of our building? That's a big deal. Someone greeted you when you came in, unless you were super early before anyone got here. We had ushers that handed you those compass bulletins with the fabulous sermon outline. Did you see that? (laughs) The beautiful colors, the reminders. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's coming up. I got to remember that. Okay. Someone did that. They served. How about our worship time? They got here. Do you know they get here early? Like usually, I think by 8.15. Don't quote me on that. David, what, 7.30? Is that what you want, David? No, I'm kidding. But think about that for a minute. So they, they prepared. They paid the price on Wednesdays. And they're listening to those recordings while they're driving around or whatever. Singers. Orchestra members. Now, orchestra members don't practice while you're driving around. You could listen, but don't try... The trombone and the steering wheel wouldn't work very well, okay? How about technical? How about for those of you online? There are people manning the cameras. There are people manning the computer, the audio, the lighting so you can see for us as well in the room, right? They're doing all these things. Someone had to put, produce the lyrics. Someone is directing the cameras. Did you know that? You may think, oh, I didn't know that was a service. Yeah, it is. And they've been directed never to do a close headshot of the pastor. I'm scared of this one right here, right? Yes. 
on and on and on. We could go on. I could spend the rest of the day, and I won't, listing just all the ways of serving God just for 9.30 a.m. here at Hoffmantown Church. Just think about that this morning. God, may we give you our best and not our leftovers. Now, it's not my job to tell you how to serve, where to serve. All right? God has gifted you. You realize the Bible says that every, the moment of regeneration, of conversion, every Christian gets at least one spiritual gift. Are you aware of that? And no one gets them all. No room for a big head. Okay? And God also gives us personalities, does he not? He gives us talents that could be separate from those spiritual gifts or could work harmoniously together with those. He gives us passions. All these things are given to us to serve in the kingdom. And God, may we give our best and not just our leftovers. So when you leave today and you head out that way, you probably saw it when you came in. There's some tables. It's called the Servant Sunday Tables. And there are slips of paper on those tables. And I think there's close to 30 different categories. Just to show you the variety of how you can serve. Maybe you have been convicted. I need to be serving in the kingdom. Good. Take a look. Grab some of those and look at some of those. You'll be surprised the different ways in which we can serve together. I was reminded of yesterday, there were people serving in the kingdom with the oil change ministry. People changing oil, checking lights, all that kind of stuff. People visiting and sharing and pouring their life into others while they waited for their vehicles to be serving. I think of single moms, military moms, widows, elderly, getting something done in a safe place where they won't be taken advantage of. You ever been taken advantage of? Yeah. Who would have thought, who would have ever dreamed that would be a way to serve the Lord? There's all kinds of ways. It's more than just being a preacher or just being a teacher or a worship leader. So I want you to think about that. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you have ushered in your kingdom. We're grateful for its inauguration. The shed blood of Jesus, the ransom, and the power of the resurrection. And that God, that we can be saved, that we can be part of the kingdom. So remind us of our need to be saved. And remind us that in a kingdom there is a king. And that we call you king of kings and lord of lords. And you desire to receive our best you desire for us to serve in some capacity so Lord the needs are great but God I pray that we would not serve out of compulsion but we would serve because we see you we see what you've done and we know that you are the perfect example of serving so, God, I pray that this place would become a place of intentionality, Lord, that we would become influencers in our neighborhood, in our city, and around the world. So we ask that you would help us with that. And, God, I 
pray right now during this uh, response time that you would convict our hearts. God, I pray that we would examine the folks who are listening would check to see if they're really part of the kingdom. God, I pray your gospel would work in lives today. People would see the need for repentance. So God, speak to us. In your name we pray.